On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. It's knuckle puck time. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. We are off and running again on an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast, number 903. Appreciate you checking out the show wherever you're listening right now. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Anybody that's, uh, that's churning out the audio, they've probably got us. You know all those places that are constantly telling you, this is an iHeart radio station. We're one of those. We will be there, right? That's what we'll be doing. Anywhere you can hear audio, anywhere somebody is irritating you with uh, the fact that they're hitting you with the best audio, that's where we are because we only bring you the best audio. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. We're like, I don't know, 35 seconds into this show, I've already said the word audio. Probably about 17 times, so uh, we'll try and curtail that a little bit as we continue to go. Like I said, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Uh, Also, go back and check out, because wherever you're listening right now, um, you'll find the archives. All kinds of great stuff in the last few weeks. Ian Mendez has been here. Amy Burke has been in here. Chris Hoffley was just here. That was episode 902 of the podcast. All of that as well at TallCanAudio.com. Had a great conversation with Hoffley. uh, Just sort of about, you know, what has this season been like around the Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group as it pertains to the Ottawa Red Blacks, who have not had a good season. Um, There's no way around that. He didn't try to dance his way around that, right? The record is what it is. It stands for itself. And so there was no reason to try to paint around it. Uh, So I didn't with the questions that I asked him, and he didn't with the answers that he gave. Uh, So to me, that was an interesting conversation. If you're a CFL fan, if you're an OHL fan, uh, if you're a sports fan who wonders sort of what things look like behind the scenes when a year isn't going exactly the way that you would want it to go, probably a worthwhile uh, episode to go back and check out, like I said, at TallCanAudio.com or wherever you're listening right now. Uh, Speaking of Hoffley, he brought me a beer. What a good dude, right? Guy knows how to endear himself. Uh, guy knows how to uh, to keep me happy. And really, if we're being honest, um, 
it should probably be the other way around. I should be working very hard to keep that guy happy. As through the pandemic, long before he started coming back in studio, which he did on episode 902, if I didn't mention that, he was here live at the Tolkien Audio Studio. Um, he was jumping on remotely and, and doing some shows, answering our questions, co-hosting here and there. And then beyond that, he started hooking us up with other guests, right? He, he became our conduit into the Ottawa Red Blacks and helped us out in a big way when the show was really kind of hurting, as were a lot of sports podcasts and a lot of uh, sports television shows or radio shows. Sports were down, right? People weren't following it quite as closely because they had, you know, their own things to worry about. The CFL in general uh, on that front wasn't playing last year. And so between he and Michaela Schreider, um, you know, we were able to kind of keep the CFL talk afloat with sort of hypotheticals and then with interviews. And Hoffley's the guy who kind of got us set up with those interviews. We're talking about people like Paul Apolise, right? People like Matt Nichols, Nate Bahar has been in here. Uh, Justin Howell was on the show, which was awesome. We talked a little bangerang, which uh, you guys were hearing quite a bit about uh, throughout the summer, especially uh, as we tried some of that. Brad Sinopoli was on the podcast, right? So those are people that we only get because Chris Hoffley kind of signed off on us, not just to come on himself, but then sort of, yeah, gave the wave to, yeah, it's fine. Come on in the pool. The water's nice, right? To, uh, to these other people within OSEG. So we really appreciate Hoffley. And he brought me a beer. Like I said, that's, that's what we were trying to get to here is the beer that Chris Hoffley brought me. So that is from, uh, the Henderson Brewing Company down in Toronto. We've mentioned these guys a lot, especially lately. Um, your boy, Matty Lang was, uh, was up to visit me at the cottage in August when we were doing some of these shows remotely from there. Uh, Matty rolled into town and he brought a bunch of stuff from Henderson. He's clearly a fan and he's sort of, he's won me over as a fan as well. Um, and they make great stuff. And that's where this comes from. Like I said, this comes from Hoffley though, not from Matty. And he rolled in on Wednesday with this bottle and it's a big boy bottle, right? This is like a quart that you're staring at, almost like a small wine bottle. And he handed it to me, and I'm like, wow, like, take a look at this thing. Uh, but it's warm at the time, right? And we're getting ready immediately to sit down and do the podcast as, as he rolls in. So it wasn't time to drink it. It was, uh, like I said, it was warm. You're looking for something cold. So I threw it in the fridge and said on the next podcast, that's what I would get to. And so uh, that's what we're having here today. And um, we've had a chance to cool off. But want to say thanks to Hoff for bringing this in here. Um, you know, we we often have uh, guests who come in and, and have a couple of beers. Not all of them bring beers with them. That's pretty cool. Uh, I should mention, I guess, that Creech uh, brought beer uh, when he was at, in the last time. I think Steve Bunda has, well, I know Steve Bunda has before brought in a couple of beers. Um, you know, not everybody does. And they're not supposed to, right? When you come in to do the show, we provide the beer. But uh, if you want to really get yourself sort of welcomed into that sort of TCA nest, uh, it never hurts to bring some. So this is from Hoffley, like I said. Um, this is called, like I said, from the Henderson Brewing Company, the Rush Moving Pictures Special, uh, they're calling it a Belgian Dark Ale. I can see that a little bit, right? It It is... It looks closer to dark than to brown, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. Um, but 
when you call it a dark, I expect more of a brown. Uh, you, you'll be able to find a picture of it, uh, as always, on our Instagram, at TallCanAudio. Uh, took a couple there. Um, it says extra strong. That's where this gets interesting. Like I said, it's kind of dark, but more in a red way. Uh, it's got kind of a tan head on it, although I'm not sure we captured that in the photo because the 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 head was fading fast. Um, 13% is the, uh, is the alcohol content on this one. That's a bit, it's a bit much, right? It's, it's, that's pretty strong. I think, I think if I remember correctly, the strongest beer I've ever had before this one, uh, I was with my old man down at a place which is now closed and disappeared. Uh, there was a couple of them. I don't know if the Toronto location is closed. It was called Beerocracy. Um, and it wasn't far off Elegant Street, sort of downtown, a couple blocks west. And it was awesome. Similar to the Elegant Beer Project, where all they did was craft beer. And, you know, obviously had food and stuff. But, you know, if you wanted to come in and have a drink, they were expecting that you would have uh, a craft pint. So it was great. And I think it was because we sort of did this tour a couple of times, uh, both on my birthday and then either on his uh, his birthday or Father's Day, I can't remember now. Uh, often Father's Day and my birthday are only like three days apart. Maybe that's partly why I can't remember. Uh, I'm not certain about it. But it was one of those two occasions where we were at um, at bureaucracy, and I think my mom and my sister were there, and they had dinner with us, and then they took off to some sort of other event, and then we stuck around and had a beer or two. And this was a stout. I'm pretty sure it was from the Blood Brothers Brewing Company in Toronto, who I honestly haven't had a lot of their stuff, but I know Creech often uh, checks that stuff in. Um, you know, they, those guys come on, Creech and Bunda, before most of the UFC events, and they do a great job helping me tee up those shows, but... During the events, we keep that conversation going. We kind of have a group chat. We talk about what's happening. And so we sort of share the beers that we're enjoying at that point. I think uh, I think Creech has a few times hit me with the Blood Brothers uh, there. This was an 11% stout, and it was thick. Like, really thick to the point where it was almost like a milkshake or something, right? Like, obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. It was really thick. But it was like an 11% Imperial Stout. And I got time for that. You're obviously never going to sit down and have six or eight of them. But it was all right. And so when I took a look at this and it said 13%, I think that's a new high, right? I think that is now the strongest beer that I've ever had here in the uh, in the TCA studio. And it's apparently named after the... Well, it says right there, right? The Rush Moving Pictures. So Moving Pictures is an album by the iconic Canadian band Rush. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't know a lot about Rush. I know the hits. I know what you're supposed to know, right? Uh, saw them once in concert here at uh, Blues Fest. I believe it was in 2013. Um, you know, a live outdoor kind of festival show. Um, and went with a fan that uh, was annoyed <laughs> at how much a few of the rest of us talked during it. But they were one of those bands where I felt like I really want to see this, right? At least once. And when you see them at a festival like that, 
it's not like buying tickets at the Air Canada Center to Rush, where it's probably going to be 189 bucks. It's closer to like 40 when you go see them at a festival like Blues Fest. And I actually had bought it as a three-night pass or a five-night pass or something like that. So it all gets rolled in uh, to a pretty reasonable cost, and, and you don't feel as bad about it. They were just one of those bands I wanted to see. So, you know, truth be told, I have no idea which tunes are from which album. Obviously, this is the uh, 40-year anniversary of the uh, of the album, Moving Pictures. So, 1981, that comes out. Is that Tom Sawyer? Is that Limelight? Is that what? I honestly, guys, I couldn't tell you. But um, love what Hoff was thinking. Coming in here heavy, right? Here you go, man. Here's a nice 13% in a big boy bottle. Power to you. So, uh, appreciate him. Not only for uh, everything he's done for the podcast over the last, whatever, 18, 20 months, whatever it's been, but, um, you know, for this beer. And uh, we'll see if I'm going to hang tough, you know, by the time we sip on this a couple of times at at 13%, if we can keep the show on the road here a little bit. They say, um, yeah, Uh, you're not getting a ton of different flavors off. It's kind of hard to say. They say at the very end of the description of the beer, a light boozy finish. To me, that's more than a little bit boozy. It's not a light boozy. There's a booziness to that. And at 13%, uh, probably shouldn't expect much else. So hope you all had a great weekend. It was an eventful weekend in the world of Canadian sports. And uh, we'll touch on a couple of things here. This probably won't be an extremely long episode of the podcast. It has frequently been pointed out to me on our uh, Twitter page, at Talkan Audio. Often when I say that, uh, especially Ride and Solo here, they often turn out to be much longer uh, than I expect. So we'll see what happens. But as I sit here with the topics in front of me, I don't expect this to be particularly long. But let's start with the Canadian men's soccer team. Because uh, football team, don't fucking at me. Don't. I know. I know. But I'm also just a Canadian guy. Can we just agree that the name of the game is is irrelevant? You can call it what you want. I'll call it what I want and, and we'll move on from there. But the Canadian men's soccer team is still heavily in the mix here for qualifying for the World Cup. And we haven't seen that in a long time. The Canadian men have not qualified since 1984. I was one year old, a, a bouncing baby boy, right? Matt Robinson just hanging out kind of taking in the world, see what's coming along, see how things are all going to shake loose, just taking it all in, right? A bouncing baby one-year-old boy. The Canadian men's team was playing in the World Cup and they would not play again. Maybe I was the the curse. (laughs) Bad things ahead for Canadian men. This is now a team that is halfway through World Cup qualifying. It's 14-game round-robin. Essentially, Canada is the last team left with no losses. We sit one point behind the United States and the Mexicans. Uh, USA, on uh, on the same night that Canada played on Friday there against Costa Rica, the United States defeats Mexico 2-0, which leaves us now just one point behind Mexico. And go figure, Canada's next game, also in Edmonton, against Mexico with a chance to leapfrog them with a win. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a soccer, you know, strategic genius. I think you all know that. 
in anything I sit down and watch. I'm obviously a genius, so I don't have to keep pounding that into you, right? Look, I don't know. That's been part of the charm. What I know is that the last time Canada played Mexico was in Mexico, in Mexico City, at Estadio Azteca, at altitude. And teams don't win there. Teams don't draw there. When you go in there, you lose. That's just what happens, especially in CONCACAF, right? Mexico, for a very long time, over the last couple of decades, the Americans have closed that gap. But for the longest time, Mexico, king of of CONCACAF. And if you're not familiar, all is is this region, right? Everybody has to play out of their region. Mexico has ruled this region, especially at home. And that's a different conversation we can have on another day. Why does it matter so much to have a home crowd? This is one of those sports where clearly it matters. But one of the reasons that it matters at Azteca in Mexico City is the altitude, which I referenced earlier. You're playing outdoors, the air is thin, and it's hard. And the fans, not always super welcoming. It's an intimidating place to play. They've been punished before with some of the things that they're known to chant, which can border or blow past the border of homophobic or uh, different things like that. We can save that conversation for another day. But honestly, over the last couple of decades, there's only like four teams and not even four teams. Like there's only been four games at Azteca where teams have come in there and taken points. And Canada did that. Canada went in there and earned a draw against Mexico. So now you're facing Mexico at home. And we've joked about this before. You're not just pulling them home to Toronto or to Vancouver. No, 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 no. We're going to drag your asses up to Edmonton here in mid-November. The forecast as we sit here right now, is calling for, you know, as of as of kickoff for the game, like minus 10. And I don't know how much this matters, but it does feel like it matters. You got to assume most of these Mexican players not super accustomed to the Edmonton winter. Now, most of our players have also been playing in Europe, right? Or, you know, different club teams around the world. It's not like, you know, we talk about this all the time. Um, someone has to roll into Lambeau for a playoff game against the Packers. But are they really any less prepared than the Packers? You know, maybe the Packers' two best receivers this year, you know, went to the University of, of California and one went to the University of Miami or something like that, right? Um, the Florida Gators. Are they real? And maybe grew up in whatever, in Texas and in Alabama. Maybe not. Maybe grew up in New York. Maybe grew up in Wisconsin. Maybe, But just because you play for a team, maybe you have a couple more games than these other guys in these cold conditions. But what that advantage is really worth, we don't know. But it's fun to talk about. And it's fun to talk about asking Mexico to come to Edmonton in November and play against this team. And one of the things that I've sort of discussed with a few of our listeners on Twitter, and like I said, you can follow us there at Tallcan Audio, is this idea of being sort of a more ignorant fan. And that's exactly what I would call myself when I'm watching these soccer games. I don't know. 
I don't know anything as far as strategy goes, as far as what your lineup should be, when you should make your subs. And maybe you would say to me, and some of you have, that when we're watching hockey, you also don't know, right? I feel like I know more. A lot of us do. When you watch that 82 times a year, times however many playoff games, probably seven and out if you're a Toronto fan. But you feel like, uh, I don't know if I would make that line change. I don't love this defensive pairing. Their advanced metrics say these guys can't keep up with that. I just started this goalie here instead of here on the back-to-back. These sorts of things. When you when you watch a sport all the time, like millions of people around the world do with soccer that I just don't happen to be one of, but when you watch that sport, you build an opinion and a philosophy of your own. And when I move over now and watch these games, I don't have that with this men's soccer team. I didn't have it either with the women's soccer team. But the Olympics is a much more short-term commitment. We all get in on, uh, you know, Penny Alexiak. For five or six nights at the Olympic Games, we're all watching swimming. We're all watching Andre de Grasse on the track. And believe me, there's every bit as much strategy and everything that goes into that beforehand in those races. But when you and I sit down and watch, it's just, go, go. Swim faster. And then it's over in 70 seconds or whatever, depending on the race, depending on the event. And so the women's soccer tournament where the Canadian women grabbed an Olympic gold medal this year, which was, again, incredible. But it didn't have this long-term investment. For many people, it did. Many people who watched that Canadian women's team knew that they were building to the Olympics. But for those of us who just sat down and watched the Olympics... No, it was, here's the Olympics, let's go. And and for two weeks, there they are. And at the end of the day, we came out and we won, and it was awesome. I was extremely excited, um, like most Canadians who watched it. But that was it. I, I still didn't know anything about the game, other than right now, <laughs> we're the best. So now you, you get back and you watch these men's games that are kind of stretched out over a few months, this qualifying process takes. And I don't know whether that's good or bad, but it keeps the attention. And as they kept winning and kept taking points off good teams, and look, you know as well as I do, if you weren't following it, it just seemed like every couple of months you'd hear on the sports update on whatever radio station, and Canada loses 1-0 to Honduras in Gold Cup qualifying, or it's like, all right, we just lost these games. And now all of a sudden you have some some generational talents on the pitch at the same time. Alfonso Davies obviously being chief amongst them. But Jonathan David, obviously right there not to be overlooked. And, you know, if you watched that Friday game, um, Tejan Buchanan looked to be every bit, you know, if not their equal, right there with them. You start to learn these names as you go. You start to watch these results. Well, hey, big draw there at Azteca. Man, big win there over Jamaica. All these games that you used to hear about Canada losing, they're suddenly winning. And it made it fun. And I guess my only point with this is 
it takes me back to watching hockey when I was like in my mid to early teens or even before that as a kid. And now you're just a fan. You don't know what the power play should be doing other than shoot. Like every fan yells, whether you know hockey or not, for some reason you get swept up. We all yell it. But it's, there's an innocence to it when you don't fully get it, right? When you don't believe you have a better strategy and instead you're just a fan cheering and living and dying with it. And that's been really fun for me as I've sat back and started to follow this team. I'll never tell you I'm an expert. I'll never tell you I know who should start, what the strategy should be. This has just been fun. And I think there's a part of my sports fandom that's been missing that. I don't know if I'm right when I watch the Leafs, but if they lose, I'm going to tell you that I was. That should have done that thing I said they should have done. Would it have worked? I, I don't know. But I don't do that with this team. This has been fun, right? It's just fun. And for many of you out there who are hardcore soccer fans, who are looking down your nose at me a little bit and saying, well, I do know what they should have done. I'm not judging you either. Because like I said, I do the same thing with the Blue Jays batting order or whatever it might be with the Leafs. But for somebody like me, who's not an expert, this has been fun. And, and that's really all I want out of it. As we sit here now, Canada's halfway through the qualifying process. They are the only team without a loss in the column so far. You probably still need to get, you know, from people I talk to, from people I've asked about this, who are certainly more informed than me, you know, over the next seven games, you probably still need another 12 to 14 points. It's kind of early to say exactly what it's going to take, but you're going to need more. But essentially, uh, right now, you're sitting in third place, one win away from being in second place, depending on how that game against Mexico goes, which even at home is is a tall order. Like I said, Mexico, obviously kind of kings of CONCACAF uh, for a while now. But the top three from the region get in, and the fourth will then have to go to a qualifying tournament to play fourth place teams from other regions. But Canada's in a really good spot right now. They're in a really nice position to just go and and kind of keep riding this wave, keep riding this high-end talent and turning this into similar to what Christine Sinclair and the women's team has done, this sort of turning point for Canadian soccer. That Vince Carter moment that we always talk about for the Raptors, right? Where, you know, in 99, 2000, when Vince is getting huge and the Raptors have been around for a while, but he becomes a star, a worldwide star, an NBA all-star, that dunk contest, all that stuff. And kids across Canada start to watch and go, oh shit, look at that. That's on TSN nationwide. Maybe I want to do that. And here we are now, like 20 years later, a pile of kids that grew up with that as a moment instead of watching whoever, you know, Gretzky was done by then, but pick your team's best hockey player, Sundin, Alfredson, Aginla, the Sedins, whatever. Instead of seeing that, they saw Vince do those crazy dunks and do some wacky shit for the Raptors and make that team legitimate. Well, now there's a pile of Canadians in the NBA. 
this could be that moment for Canadian soccer. Um, when you look at the idea that the Canadian women just won an Olympic gold medal and the Canadian men are on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup for the first time since 1984. Unbelievable, right? So if you're at all interested, if you have the time to sit down and watch a soccer game, maybe check out this game against Mexico. Tuesday night, out in Edmonton, freezing cold. We'll see whether that's going to be a factor or not, and if so, for who. Um, But it's, I guess my only point, my final point, like I said, would be this has been fun. And that's all we should be looking for out of this team. If you're not a hardcore soccer fan, this is a good time to jump on board and become one of those casual fans. Let it be fun. Just sit back and enjoy. Let's see where this team's going to take us. Uh, The one thing you would hope to see, and I'm going to nitpick because that's what we do here. The Edmonton Elks are done for the year in the CFL. Maybe we could get the CFL markings off the pitch. It just looked pretty Bush League, right? You can't have a pitch like that uh, for the most important games that this men's team, the Canadian men's team, has played in decades. You bring it out to Edmonton, and there was lots of talk about whether or not it should have stayed in Toronto, where Toronto has cultivated, uh, part with Canadian soccer and partly with TFC, this, this fan base, right? That, for lack of a better term, just knows what they're doing. Right, I I think the Edmonton fans who showed up, and God love them, there was like fifty thousand of them, um, which is incredible for a soccer game in November. But in Toronto, they're used to it. TFC has gone deep a few times. They have the culture. They have the the supporter group, the um, the chants that go with it. It's a soccer atmosphere, right? And the pitch resembles that. It's a serious pitch. This, and I say this lovingly, Edmonton, this looked like 50,000 people like me who were there, who were excited to be there, who wanted to support the team, but we cheered for it like a hockey game because that's what we know what to do with, right? That's how we know how to react to. Um, It it didn't seem to have a lot of the sing-song atmosphere. It didn't seem to have a lot of the things that you associate with soccer around the world, which TFC does have, and and Toronto down there at BMO does have. Uh, I don't know whether the wind blowing in off Lake Ontario was going to be all that less welcoming than northern Alberta. Um, You know, all that more welcoming, however you want to phrase it. I don't know that uh, that it would have been... If, if you're looking to bring everybody north and make them cold, I can tell you from going to... Um, from that Leaf game on January 1st, the uh, it wasn't the Winter Classic, what'd they call it? The Centennial Classic or, uh, or something like that. I'm sitting there on uh, New Year's Day with the wind whipping off the lake through that stadium. It's cold, so <laughs> I would say that. But Edmonton, again, not ripping them. The people who showed up, and there was a pile of them, were tremendously supportive, and that was awesome. But it seemed to lack a little bit of that soccer culture. And again... Get the CFL markings off the pitch. It just looks Bush League. You're, you got a team trying to qualify for the World Cup here. Come on, let's get going. Uh, one of the other things I thought we would touch on here tonight is uh, Alex Ovechkin, the ageless wonder. And at the beginning of the season, we did sort of a season preview show. 
And instead of just going through it division by division, team by team, um, all the things that sort of went with that, we did it a little different. And we just, here's some storylines to follow. And one of the ones that I put forward, and so far, honestly, it doesn't look like it's shaking up to be as much as I thought it might be. The season is young, but we'll see. But the idea that we may see a bunch of 50 goal scorers this year. Um, I mentioned names like Debrinkat, who has had 40, you know, at least once before last year was on pace for that. Had it been a full season, um, certainly McDavid and Dreisaitl who are off to unbelievable starts. They might get it done. Uh, Austin Matthews, I thought had a great shot at getting to 50. He may yet, obviously, um, he missed the first three games. And then after that, you know, having had no training camp, uh, he didn't quite look like himself, but he does seem to have it going a little bit more lately. So that's still on the table. And when you're talking about possible 50 goal scorers, Alex Ovechkin, until he retires, probably has to be in that conversation. At some point, he'll start to wind down. And at some point you should start to bet on that. But I put him in the conversation here because I wasn't ready to bet on that. So with the Washington Capitals 14 games in, Alex Ovechkin has 12 goals. On pace for well over 60 at this point. Now, I don't honestly expect anyone to keep that pace. But once you bank 12 in the first 14 games, at some point you don't have to cut a 50-goal pace anymore. Now you only have to cut a 40-goal pace. Then you only have to cut a 35-goal pace. Because you have this, you know, first 14 games of being at a 65 goal pace already in your back pocket. And he's just a machine at this point. And it's, everyone knows exactly what this guy is going to do, especially on the power play. He's going to stand at the top of that right circle. Everyone else on the Washington power play is going to work to feed the puck to him. And everyone on the penalty kill knows it. And yet, there it goes. Makes its way over. Dude hammers it home. And in it goes. He's playing every bit as physical as he ever has. That could be problematic if you worry about a guy breaking down. And, and we often talk about that, right? The more robust your playing style, in theory, the shorter your career. In theory, uh, dude's 36 years old, still out here just rolling. Um, and still doing it. The one thing you could talk about is this Olympic break. Which for a lot of guys will be a break. But for guys that are on pace for 50 goals, they'll probably be going to the Olympics. And the NHL's done a really weird thing here. I believe the All-Star game is in Las Vegas. And normally, if there's an Olympics, they just cancel the all-star game. There's no reason to have to, especially when you're already going to have to take at least two weeks off. I don't know how long the break is this time. I haven't actually looked and counted the days, but obviously the Olympic break when it was in Salt Lake city and when it was in Vancouver was shorter than when it was in Sochi or Torino or now Beijing. So there will be an extended break, but for Ovechkin, it won't be a break guy loves to represent his country. Loves to go play for Russia. So he's going to do that. But he's also going to go to an all-star game like the weekend before. 
this is sort of the odd part where normally they would just punt the all-star game and say, yeah, we're not doing it. But they've had to punt now a couple times. Well, I guess really just the ones. Last year, they did not have an all-star game because they didn't start the season until January. Only played 56 games. They weren't going to break it up. And, and especially when you start looking at the COVID issues, bringing a bunch of guys to one place, exposing them to each other, and then sending them all around the league seems like a pretty great way to spread COVID if even one guy there is infected. And it seems like a long shot. It seems silly. But coming out of this year's MLB All-Star game, you can ask the New York Yankees who sent four or five guys to that game and came back and now all of a sudden had three or four of their All-Stars on the injured list. It happens. And, um, you know, most people assume they picked it up at the All-Star game because there were some other cases. Now you're not just talking about, and not that it matters in a human sense, like anyone who gets it, it's not great news. But you're not talking about your backup left fielder. You are talking about your all-stars who all gathered in one room and then came back out across the league. So even away from the COVID thing, um, you know, last year, COVID was a great reason, even on top of the shortened season, to not have an all-star game. So they didn't want to cancel it again this year. It's a moneymaker. You sell sponsorships. Uh, you get to bring all your sponsors and your marketing people and stuff into that game and wine and dine them, show them how appreciated they are, get to post Bridgestone and Rogers names all over everything, and you make money. That's all this is. And I have a hard time faulting them, to be honest, because the league has hemorrhaged money, as have most sports and, frankly, most businesses over the last two years. So they want to run this thing, but they also made a deal with the players to go to the Olympics. So essentially, can you think of many all-stars who won't be going to the Olympics? If you're an NHL all-star, you're probably an Olympian. So those guys are going to fly down to Vegas, do the skills competition on Friday, play the all-star game on Saturday, and probably get on like one big chartered jet from there to Beijing on Sunday. And then I don't know what day of the week the actual Olympics start. But you've sort of compounded this thing that you're asking your top players to do. And this conversation started out being about Alex Ovechkin, who at 36 years old is going to be an NHL All-Star. But he's also clearly going to play for that Russian Olympic team. And what will become interesting is how many guys bail out. So if you recall... There was a lot of guys that started taking the All-Star weekend off. So the league said, all right, if you're not hurt and you skip the All-Star weekend, you're suspended for a game. But they made it weird. They allowed you to choose whether you were suspended for the game before the All-Star break or the game after. So you started to see, you know, you would look at your schedule. Let's say it's Ovi and the Capitals. Maybe the game before the All-Star weekend and the Olympic break is against Columbus, who's not going to be good. Uh, And their game after the All-Star game and the Olympics is against Carolina, who are very good. 
probably going to be the top team in that division. Ovechkin maybe needs a break regardless, right? You wouldn't mind giving that guy a game off. And so do you give him the game off before he goes to the Olympics against a terrible team, which would make more sense? Or do you understand that you're sending your 36-year-old goal scorer around the world? He's not going to play in the All-Star game, but he is going to then fly to Beijing, so he's fine. He's not hurt. He's going to go play for his country. But then you're going to sit him out for the first game back against Carolina, a very good team that you might be battling for a division title with. I don't know if they're playing Carolina. This is just an example. But these are the decisions that are going to go on. And we've talked about it before, when it was just the All-Star game. When you allow players to choose... They'll look at the schedule and decide which game they're most needed for, and then whatever. But it seems unlikely to me you would give Alex Ovechkin the game before the All-Star game off against, you know, a lighter opponent. Let him rest there, and during the All-Star break, then fly to China, play balls out for his country in a hardcore Olympic tournament where guys play hard. And then come home and not rest? Like, wouldn't you rather he rest on the back end after an Olympics if he's going to have to do one? It's interesting whether the players are going to be able to choose here. Do the teams factor into it? Um, but Alex Ovechkin, you know, as as an old guy, it's upsetting for me to have to say that. This guy two years older than him. But he has come out of the shoot on fire. And he looks like he's got another 50-goal season in him. And, and being lost in the discussion is the chase for Gretzky. We sort of assumed as he got older, you know, maybe two more 40-goal years, then maybe two 30-goal years, and now you just need to do kind of a couple of 20- and 15-goal seasons, and he'll get there on kind of the back end, just running on fumes. If he puts up over 50 again this year, Maybe it's only got to be 41 next year, and then you ride out those 50 and 20 seasons. Like, the more he can pile up, the, 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 the more reachable it seems. This unthinkable Gretzky number at some point. And credit to people, look, I, I've been on this for a little while, but there's been people on this for longer than me talking that Ovechkin's going to do it. And whether he does or he doesn't, there's been some talk. Maybe he retires, goes back to Russia and just plays there. Uh, I doubt it. I think when he sees he's this close, he's going to want to stick around. But man, he has already established himself as the greatest goal scorer of all time. You look at some of the goals. This isn't to take away from anything because the numbers that Gretzky put up, the things Lemieux did, um, the things Bobby Orr did, you know, in their times were incredible, best ever type stuff. But the way the game is played now, the lower scoring game, the much better goaltenders wearing much bigger goaltending equipment, the much smarter defensemen who are also much bigger and will happily bounce your head off the glass if they get the chance. You just don't get to come down the wing and kind of lob one over that the goalie sort of weakly kicks at. And you get a goal for that. That doesn't happen anymore. And Ovechkin is still right there on the verge of grabbing Gretzky. Man, almost unthinkable. No, Two years ago, you'd still have gone, ah, I don't know. Three years ago, for sure. 
Look, last year, guy has a 56 game season to contend with, right? Because of the, the, the pandemic shutting down half the year. The year before that, they sliced 12 games off the end of the season. So he loses those. The 2012 2013 season is only 48 games because of one of Gary's Funland lockouts. So he loses half a year there. His rookie season should have been 2004 2005. That was Gary's super fun land. Took the whole year off. As a rookie at 18 years old, is Ovechkin a 50-goal guy? Probably not. Is he 25 or 30? Probably. Those numbers add up. That's a whole lost season in 0405. That's half a season in 1213. There's 10 or 12 games there uh, at uh, the end of the 2019-20 season and, you know, 35 whatever games it was going to be in the 2021 season. All of those lost, all of those games where he might have already put himself to be like only 30 back at Gretzky. We need to be having a conversation now that maps out what we want this victory tour to look like. He's he's that good. He's already the greatest goal scorer of all time. Even before you fact, just based on the style of game, like I said. So even before you take out all those games that I've referenced there that he didn't get, that he should have, that have been pulled out of his prime. He's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Now, he should already be knocking on the door of Gretzky and barring some sort of horrendous injury. If he wants to hang around till he's 45 like Yager, certainly he'll get there. But I think it's far more likely he's going to get there in the next four, five years. Guy just has no, there's no sign of him loosening up, slowing down, right? Uh, we had the debate at the beginning of this season. Is that still a guy who could hit 50? Uh, maybe if things go right. Boom! 14 games, 12 goals. There he is. Well on his way. I suppose, since I've got a little time left here, let's talk some Leafs. Set off the top. We'll try and keep this short. We're not going to keep it short. Why? Have you ever known me to keep it short? Just turn on the mic and Matt will just yammer. That's what happens here, right? So he's going to keep yammering and we're going to talk some Leafs. Only in the sense that in the first week or two, you know, what did they go? They started uh, a win to Montreal, lost to Ottawa, another win over Ottawa. You know, it was sort of a mediocre start. Then they lose four in a row. Uh, you know, whatever it is, they're two, four, and one or something at that point. And you would swear the roof was caving in. Not here. I challenge you, if you want to hit me up on Twitter and tell me that I was like everybody else panicking, I would challenge you to go back into the audio here at tallcanaudio.com and find the part where I felt rattled at that point. Wasn't impressed, but I wasn't rattled. And since that point, in their last nine games, they are eight and one. Do I believe they're an eight and one team? No. Did I believe they were a two and four team? No. The season is long. Things go up and down, things ebb and flow. This fan base is broken. It's neuro- and it's funny cuz I can no longer find 
the people who were so concerned before. They used to be everywhere on my Twitter. This is broken. Kyle fucked up and get rid of Tavares. He's clearly old and dead. Just dead. The carcass of John Tavares. John Tavares, he of 12 points in his last eight games. On pace for about 40 goals again this season. Guys, seventh. Seventh in league-wide goal scoring since he signed in Toronto. Ahead of names like Stamkos, Point, Rantanen, McKinnon. He's fine. Mellow out. 12 points in his last eight games. John Tavares has been killing. In the last three seasons, William Nylander, 13th in the league in goals. He would be the leading scorer on 21 teams. And that guy's making 6.9. But we don't talk about that anymore because he's looking good. And We'll wait till he has a shitty game or two and, and goes cold a bit, and then we'll talk about what a bust he is. But for right now, we just don't talk about him at all, right? 8-1 and in their last nine games. Look, the Leafs are not this good, but they're nowhere near as bad as they looked early on either. Look, if you saw that Buffalo game, that was not. Excuse me, that was not a good game. I hope you bet the over. A 5-4 finish. And if you had any sense at all, if you are the gambling type, you'd have taken a look and seen, okay. Okay, that's Aaron Dell in the Buffalo net. And that's Joseph Wall in the Toronto net. Last year going into the season, Toronto's number three. He'd get claimed off waivers. And Toronto's number five goaltenders. We had Amy Burke on the podcast a while ago, a couple weeks ago now, to talk about Hutch. Whether you not or whether or not you can keep trotting that guy out. The team clearly doesn't believe in it. And look, last year he played reasonably well. I think he had a 919. Uh everything that happened in that shortened season is worth looking at as a small sample size. Even more so when you look at a third-string goalie who didn't play that many games. But he played fine. But the team just plays different in front of him. They don't believe in him. And if you don't believe that that's true, you don't have to look any further than the fact that they decided, instead of bringing up Michael Hutchinson again, once Peter Morazic got placed on IR, they went to Joseph Wall. Guy has a sub-900 save percentage in the AHL, and they decided, you know what? Let's try that instead of Hutch. And it goes back to a point that Amy made on this show. As I mentioned, she was on, and she talked about what that can do inside a team dynamic. What happens when your teammates no longer believe in a guy? They're not going to say it to his face. They're not going to be dicks to him. But they're going to go out and they're going to play in a way that indicates, we just don't trust that you can do this, man. And now all of a sudden, this high-flying Toronto offense doesn't take chances. It doesn't high-fly. It doesn't try to do these things because it's worried about protecting this guy that they don't trust. I would suggest to you, Michael Hutchinson is better than Joseph Wall. 
But as Amy and I discussed on that episode of the show, sometimes it's just a different face. Sometimes it's just a different vibe. Maybe you trade Hutch for someone else's third string goalie. You don't expect him to be better. You trade someone. Maybe you trade Hutch for someone every bit as good or bad just because it's a different face. And the team hasn't yet decided you can't do this for us. Now, part of this is how often should you have to lean on your third string goalie? Well, last year, Freddie was hurt a ton. And then Campbell was hurt a bunch. And so here you go, Hutch. Get in there, my man. This year, Freddie's gone and killing it for Carolina. The very early on favorite to win the Vesna. We'll see where that goes. But now you get Peter Morazic, who has his own injury history. And he's played two periods for the Leafs. Got hurt. After uh, two periods of work, came back. And I don't actually even remember now whether he got hurt in a game. Maybe it was. Maybe he played a game again. I I don't recall, to be honest with you. Maybe it was practice again. But he gets hurt, and you're right back, knowing that you have these back-to-backs coming, and you really don't know how many games Jack Campbell should be playing. He's a career backup. He's injury-prone himself. And you're leaning hard on him. And instead of this being a split with Mrazek, Mrazek's gone for at least another month. And so you need somebody to come in and play these back-to-backs. And if if you believe, which it sure looks like, management has agreed with what we talked about here on the show, they don't believe in, in Michael Hutchinson, well, then you better go out and get someone else. And since they didn't, they brought up Hutchinson's backup from the AHL. Like I said, sub 900 in the A, there were moments where he absolutely looked like that against Buffalo, but at the same time, there were some moments where he made some pretty athletic saves, uh, kept it, kept it tight at times. It wasn't a good game. The Leafs did not play well in front of him, but I did not think he was particularly good. And really, what are you expecting from your fourth string goaltender. You got to win. Weird goal. Morgan Riley makes it 5-4 with 11 seconds to go. Crazy backspin off the crossbar. That Russ Tyler, Mighty Ducks. It's knuckle puck time. Bang. Crossbar down. Rolls back in. Weird. Weird goal. I think they interviewed Morgan Riley after. He said, I didn't think it was that weird. Like, all right, buddy. I would not be counting on, at this point, Joseph Wall becoming an NHL goaltender. There was a time, maybe two, three years ago, where you kind of looked at the Leafs' depth in goal and said, it's a few years away, but between Ian Scott and Joseph Wall, maybe it's going to turn out okay. Well, Wall has not been very good in the AHL, and Ian Scott has played like two games in the last two years. And he's At this point, if you ever get any pro games out of him, I guess he'd be happy, but he's been hurt all the time. So I'm not banking on much coming out of that. They did just draft a Russian kid here this year. Uh, honestly, I, Atimov, maybe Artem Atimov. If uh, I could be wrong. I'm almost certainly wrong. Uh, I think that's his name. And maybe he could turn out to be something. But again, probably two, three years from now, at best, goalies take a while. 
and there's just nothing in the system. So you need Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek to figure this out. And maybe it turns out to be only one of them because uh, it sure looks like Jack Campbell's going to get a raise at the end of this season. And at that point, you're not keeping both of them. As I said on a previous episode, if Jack Campbell's going to make over $4 million, then either he's going to be making it somewhere else or he's going to be staying here and you'll be trading Peter Mrazek. Yep. <laughs> Provided he's shown back up and shown he can play and someone's willing to take that contract. I don't think it's an awful contract if he shows he can come back and play. If he just keeps getting hurt, you're stuck with that guy. That's the way that's going to go. It's been interesting. Eight and one in the back. Right now, they sit second overall in the league. For all that panic, all that fret, oh my God, the sky's falling. They're second overall in the league right now. You got to mellow out. You got to be willing to take a step back. And this is, I guess, as we go all the way, you know, full circle, as I get ready to wind this episode of the podcast down. This is the difference between my fandom for the Leafs and my fandom for that Canadian men's soccer team. When I watched the Leafs, I knew enough good things were happening to not panic. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people freaking out. It was going to be the end of the world again, like it is every couple of weeks. But it looked fine. It didn't look great, but it looked fine. They were going to be okay. When I watch this Canadian men's soccer team, I don't know enough about what I'm looking at. So yeah, when they lose, oh my God, it's the worst. We're in so much trouble. When they win, best team ever, going to the World Cup, taking down Germany. Let's go. Lud von Nistelrooy, you're mine, man. It's one of my favorite names. Um, That's sort of the difference in just education on the sport, right? I know one, I don't know the other. So you just ride the roller coaster. And I think it was more fun. That's probably the point I was trying to make with that soccer team. When you know less, you enjoy it more. You're willing to just take the ride, enjoy it for what it is, and and just have some fun with it. I think most of us in Leaves Nation, we're done having fun. We don't want to take the ride anymore. We want to win, right? We want good things. I would, uh, there was a point last week where the Leafs went 14 or 15 goals in a row from the big four. And depending on how you want to look at that, you can go, yeah, that's the way this team was built. That's the way they were designed. This group is supposed to carry the mail. Of course, you can very easily, and I'm not even sure you're wrong. You can flip the coin and go, man, at some point, you'd like to see somebody in the bottom six score. Richie or Kasha or Kerfoot or Bunting or somebody. You shouldn't be going 14, 15, 16 goals in a row where it's only Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, and Marner. Or should you? Maybe that's the way they're built. You absolutely run the risk, as we've seen in the playoffs, that if those four dry up, you are in a world of trouble. And we've seen it. But at that point, they didn't. So the team was rolling. All of a sudden, yes, look what Kyle built. It's working the way it's supposed to go. Well, we've seen now, you know, that Buffalo game, David Kampf with a crazy-ass weird goal, Morgan Riley 
with whatever that was, that knuckle puck. Uh, a lot of experts will tell you there are games, you know, if you're not doing well, you'll play well for a few games before you start to get the wins. And then early in the win streak or that good performance streak, you'll continue to play well. And then you'll kind of play crappy for a little while before the wheels fall off. I don't know if that's what we saw in Buffalo. It was the second half of a back-to-back. But it was the second half of a back-to-back for Buffalo as well. And they're not a good team. So maybe you should have still dominated. We'll see. Whether they come back out this week, and turn it back on and start to look like they're supposed to look. Or do they go cold and inconsistent again? At which point, you know, I don't think you should panic. But we can have a conversation about what this team is and, and what it's going to look like. Right. So uh, we got lots of good stuff still to come for you in the next few days on the podcast. Um, man, always great shit. Steve Lloyd has agreed he's going to come back on the podcast. Haley Salvian will return here in the not too distant future. Uh, our buddy Chris Hoffley is going to be back. Tons of good stuff to come. So I hope you'll stick around for that. Hope you all have a great week. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. Pretty happy I survived here. Running with this 13% monstrosity that Hoffley dropped in my lap here on Wednesday. Like I said, that's the uh, moving pictures. Strong beer. It's a dark Belgian ale. The photo of it and uh, what this thing's all about will go up uh, probably on Monday on our Instagram page at Tall Can Audio. If you're not following along, you should do that, especially if you're into the beer. So uh, stick around for that. Um, like I said, so much more good stuff to come. Happy that I stayed on the rails here with this 13 percenter sitting right in front of me. So thank you to Chris Hoffley for that. So as we get ready to get out of here, uh, hope you'll subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now uh, in whichever app you're on. Just take a second, hit that follow, hit that subscribe, whatever it looks like. And if you get a chance, tell your friends, share an episode on social media, whatever it looks like in any app you're listening on, whether or even if you're listening at tallcanaudio.com, take a second and give it a share, give it a retweet. We'd really appreciate that. We have a certain dedicated group of you that always share the episodes. Can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Uh, it's been tremendous. So uh, we'll get ready to get out of here. But like I said, stick around. There's going to be some Sens talk still to come as well, man. What a story that's been as they've been absolutely crushed by COVID and the league refusing to give them any sort of break. Uh, at one point, you know, they're looking at nine, 10 regulars out of the lineup with COVID and, and different injuries. Uh, and they pull off a big win on Saturday as well, which incredible. I don't think there's any doubt now. Gus the bus is the goalie of the future and probably of the present. Graham Nichols uh, was on the show at the very beginning to help us, uh, or the beginning of the season to help us tee up everything that was to come for Ottawa. And he said at the time that Gustafson was the goalie and they just weren't ready to go there. They'd given Matt Murray the money. Uh, they'd also locked up Forsberg. And here they've been sort of forced to put him in there and, and leave him in there and almost had their arm twisted. And he has showed he's the guy right now. That's going to be an interesting storyline to follow because they've got a lot of money and a lot of years left to pay Matt Murray. Forsberg, you can get rid of. Like, you can do that. But Gustafson has arrived, and it's going to be really hard to convince the fans that it's the right time to send him back down, especially on the heels of a Saturday night game where they put 14,000, 15,000 people uh, in the building. Most attended game of the year for the Ottawa Senators. So lots to come there, too. We'll make sure we have some more Senators talk 
uh, coming here down the pipe in the next few days. Like I said, trying to wind this one down, just, just still talking, right? You're just still talking, Matt. Um, we'll end this there. Thank you so much for listening. We are on Twitter and Instagram at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. My name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all next time. Now, y'all ain't got nothing else for me to drink. I'm a haul ass. No, I'm serious. I'm about to haul ass. And y'all have no better shit than this to drink. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.